humble, a compassionate Paul pleading, pleading with this young church that he planted, with those whom he loves dearly, who are dear to his heart. Whether you or I like it or not, someone is imitating us. Look around. Maybe some of you guys as parents with children in the room, somebody is imitating you. Maybe you're known in the community and others watch you. Somebody is imitating you, whether you like it or not. We are either being an example for others to follow, or we aren't. Think about what you post on social media, the conversations you have with others, in which maybe you think nobody else is listening. You are either being an example they should follow, or you aren't. Imitation of a teacher or a master was widely practiced and held in high regard. This was a special kind of relationship between a teacher and a student, which placed a high burden upon those who taught and led. I want you to think about that for a moment It was very high regard for the teacher knowing that they were imitating what they said. They valued the words that would come out of their mouth because they knew that somebody else would be following. Genuine and authentic humility accepts this responsibility and it looks to God for the grace and for the guidance to be the kind of example that others should follow. Throughout chapter 3, Paul is used himself as a concrete example of the Christian who seeks to attain to the measure and the stature and the fullness of Christ. Paul is pleading with the church at Philippi. He says, join together in following his example. In 1 Corinthians 11.1, we see a clear picture of who Paul is really telling them that they should imitate. As Paul tells the Corinthian church, he says, be imitators of me, as I am of Christ. What he is saying is, watch me as I imitate him. And go and do likewise. You know, to me, this is an incredible expression of his love for his brothers and sisters in the church. He's expressing to them the loving concern of a father to a child and how they should act and how they should behave. I would consider this today incredible family advice. Fathers, when you have that difficult conversation with your children, you're doing it because you love them, because you care about them, because you want what's best for them. Folks in the room, if you're an employer to employees or other people in your life, we are sometimes saying the things not necessarily that we think they want to hear, but we're saying the things that they need to hear. It's not always pleasant, but that's love and action. The ESV uses this word imitating. The translation of this word means to model or phrased as to be a mark or a mold in which others can copy. Today we might say, look at a mature Christian life as a blueprint to follow. Or more precisely as, 
Fix your attention upon with a desire for an interest in. Observe them intently. I want you to look at your life and examine how you've been living your life. Is the way you're living your life right now something you want somebody else to observe intently, to examine? Whose lives are you examining and watching intently and following? Paul is telling them, keep their eyes on those Take note of those others like him. He is making sure they understand that he was not the only model for them to follow. They could follow those whom he discipled. Examples he gives in Philippians, Timothy, Epaphroditus, those who are disciples of his as well, who also have imitated Christ. The word walk is translated also as live. This has to do with the behavior, meaning all that one does. Remember, the first generation believers in Christ, Paul is writing this letter to them. They had no textbooks. They had no history lessons of people they should model or pattern their life over as a guide. In fact, they had few preachers. They were struggling as a small minority group in a very pagan culture that did not love Jesus. And so what better textbook could be offered to them than the lives of those who stood before them as leaders, sometimes I think about those in the church who've been around for 40 or 50 years. You're setting the example for others in this church to follow. All my life, I've had a love for the local church. As broken as many of us say it is, because it's filled with broken people like you and I. I've had a love for the local church. Where'd that love come from? Well, I had a grandmother and grandfather, a grandfather whose wedding ring I wear that was married 56 years. Served as an elder in our church. My grandmother taught every class there was possible until the day she was in a nursing home. My grandfather would carry a pocketbook with him of scripture verses to the nursing home the day he retired. My dad could never understand why he would do it, but he did it because he would go and spend time praying with people in nursing homes. You see, they taught me the value of what it meant to pour your heart, to use your gifts to serve in the local church. They modeled to me an example, a standard of which we should follow. You know, through the local church in my life then came a youth pastor, a man named Rex Stump, who changed my life forever. You see, Rex poured into my life and what was established as life-on-life relationships. Every bit of who I am and what I do and the way I live is a direct result of how he poured into and modeled to me what it means to love Christ and to love others well in action. I had a pastor, Keith Odit, in Wauseon, Ohio, where I was at, who told me, he said, Michael, you'll be in youth ministry at some point in your life. You know how powerful those words he spoke to me were? Can you reflect back and remember the words somebody said to you that were powerful, that were life-changing? So when the opportunity came for me to take a job in youth ministry, when I moved to South Florida at Suncoast Community Church in Boca Raton, those words rang true in my heart. Ironically, some of my family from Suncoast and friends are here this morning with us. I don't look at that as a coincidence. Pastor Chris poured into my life through a book called The Making of a Leader. He loved me. He loved my wife. He married us. 
and he's very dear to our hearts. He showed me what it meant to be a pastor. And then God opened my doors to be able to come here the First Baptist Church of Shiloh. You know, over the time that I've been here, the last 10 years and before that, I've got a really close eye and been able to watch Pastor Bob. I can tell you this much. I know one thing for sure. He loves God like no other pastor I've met. He's committed to studying the Word of God, to praying. He's committed to visiting you guys when you're sick. He might not be able to get to everybody all the time, but I know one thing. He loves this congregation. He loves this church. He loves you well. He's poured his life here. He modeled to me what it means to be a pastor. So much more I could say about him and his love and his wife and their love for this church. You should reflect on that for a little bit. See, our children, our preteens, our teens, the young adults in this room, the ones Miss Jane had up here on the line who come through and I've watched come through the last 10 years, they're watching us. When we stand and when we worship and when we stand and we put our hands in our pocket and we don't, they're watching us. They're learning from us. They're learning from our examples. When we don't have teachers to teach, they're watching. They're seeing. They're learning. Are we being the kind of living examples that Paul is talking about to this young church? You see, those who pursue Christ will produce those who pursue Christ. I want you to pause and think about that for a moment. Those who pursue Christ will produce those who pursue Christ. Men in this room, will you stand, please? Men, stand. Young teens, Young male teens, you can stand as well. Men in this room, stand. Stick out your chest. Come on, men. You proud to be a man? Stand up. Stick that chest out, right? Because I'm going to have you sink it in here in a second. Paul tells you, men, look around at each other. Look around women, children. Look around at the men standing. Look around those. Hey, if you're watching online and you're a man, I want you to stand too. You don't get a pass because you're watching online. I want you to stand too. So if you're watching online, you're a man, I want you to stand. Paul tells the church in Ephesus, he tells the men in Ephesians 5.25, he says, husbands, he says, you are to love your wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Men, I want you to keep standing. I want you to keep standing. Do you grab what I just said there? He says, you are to love your wife as Christ loved the church as he gave his life up for her. Men, you have the greatest charge and testimony of anyone to imitate. You are setting the example, teaching your children. Are you the kind of husbands, are you being the kind of husbands that your family wants to follow? Men, stay standing. We have deacon nominations taking place next week. Men, you should consider it a high honor to be considered for this chief servant role in the church. But you also need to consider the high qualifications, the responsibility that comes with this chief servant role. Men, are your lives being lived in a way in which the believers in this congregation should imitate? Think about that, men. Our church rises and falls with the leadership of its men. Our nation, our country, 
Are you being the kind of man that the people in this church should imitate? If not, why not? If not, what needs to change? If not, will you work towards becoming who Jesus saved you to be and called you to be for the remainder of 2021? Will you take your next step towards becoming that man? So potentially come 2022, people will want to nominate you. Man, you can have a seat. Now that Paul has carefully painted the picture of who the church of Philippi should follow, he's going to next explain to them who they shouldn't follow. I want to pause, and I want you to think about this for a moment. We follow so many people on social media, right? Some of us maybe still haven't adapted to it. Some are on Facebook, some are on Instagram, and the millions of other ways. We follow a lot of people, don't we? You ever catch yourself imitating the wrong people? It's easy, isn't it? Hours upon hours we spend surfing, right? You realize in that process what you're doing? You're surfing the media and you're following people's lives. You don't even realize and all of a sudden you're starting to imitate it and your language comes out of your mouth. See how quick that is? Find yourself wrapped up. You ever find yourself wrapped up so much that you have an hour that's gone by? Your screen time each week, it produces, it says how much time you spend on it. You're imitating. Verses 18 and 19, this is powerful. It says, Paul is telling this young church, he says, says, this is who you should not follow. Many biblical interpreters have struggled with identifying exactly who Paul is referring to in these two verses. Paul's emotions in this passage and his weeping in verse 18 probably most likely conclude that the enemies of the cross of Christ referenced in these verses were probably in the Christian community of believers. I want you to think about that for a moment. They were probably in the Christian community of believers. He's not talking about unbelievers, but the fact that he has high commendation for the church of Philippi, more of which we're going to talk about later when we look at chapter 4, verse 1, we can safely conclude that they're probably not in that church. More than likely, there are these what would be called itinerant preachers or teachers who travel to and fro Philippi, who are living a licentious or sinful lifestyle that would be contrary or completely opposite of the life that Paul and his disciples are living, which thus makes them enemies of the cross. There's an important principle here that I think is worth noting. Right teaching that fails to produce right living is an abomination to God. Therefore, those who claim to know Christ but fail to live accordingly are enemies of the cross. I want to I want to pause, and I want you to think about that for a moment. You can have all the right words. You can attend church Wednesdays and Sundays. You can pray the prayer and walk down the aisle. But if that doesn't manufacture its way into your heart, to where it comes out of how you live, are you any different? Think about what that might mean for you in your life right now. Look carefully at verse 19. Notice what Paul's focus is on. It's not on theology, but it's on behavior. It's on how they're living their life. Why? Because as Paul highlighted in verse 17, the lifestyle of a person has a profound impact on others. Why do you think lost people don't want to come to church? Because we love each other so well in here. They see us fighting with each other in the church. Who wants to go to that? They can do that out there. 
Why don't we understand that? Why don't we grab hold of that? Listen to this description Paul uses. Four important phrases of whom you shouldn't follow. Look at the first phrase. He says, their end is destruction. Paul is most likely referring to some who have appeared as believers, but whose end demonstrates that something wasn't right with their faith. You can think of the parable of the seed that fell in different types of soil. The bottom line is that they've abandoned Christ by adopting a lifestyle that's totally opposed to the redemptive work of the cross. Their end, Paul says, is that these self-indulgent individuals were fated for eternal destruction. They were doomed to final judgment to the lake of fire. Their destiny would be hell. Think about that for a moment. Their end is destruction. Their destiny is hell. Is that who you want to follow? The next phrase, he says, their God is their belly. Most interpreters suggest that this is a reference to fleshly desires in general. Living a self-centered lifestyle that's devoted to things of this world that pleasured them in which self-gratification had become their God. The third phrase, it reads, they glory in their shame. Glory is another term for boasting. Previously in Philippians, Paul has spoken about boasting in Christ. And now he's describing the antithesis to that, which is boasting in self-indulgent pleasures defined as their shame. These individuals, they pretended to be right with God, while their actions were completely shameful, their life was filled with shame. You see, these three, uh, three phrases that Paul used, they culminate here in this last fourth phrase. It says, their mind is set on earthly things. You see, everything, every aspect of their life is summed up on their earth-centered behavior. Their final destiny, their sensual appetites, their shameful deeds, they were all dictated by their basic description of earthly from beginning to end. All of us in this room must choose between an earthly and heavenly pattern of thinking that will determine the actions that follow as well as our eventual destiny. The choice between temporary pleasure and eternal joy. The emphasis in this letter and in the New Testament is that we all must choose between earthly pursuit and the heavenly prize, between fleshly gain and eternal reward. Do you live with the end in mind? Can I just be real for a minute, though? Honestly, this is not easy. Is it easy for anyone in this room? If it's easy for you, let me know. This past week, my father-in-law blessed us with being able to spend time in, in our uh, vacation at, at the beach house he has. And I can tell you, I didn't think the nicest thought sometimes getting, trying to get from one traffic to the other. The guys with the golf carts, right? They own the place. I got frustrated. Sometimes I'd have thoughts that would go through my mind. And I would be like, Lord, my patience would bear up. This isn't easy, is it? It's not easy, is it? This is a daily battle. Satan's waging war with our fleshly bodies. The temptation to live in the flesh through gossip, slander, envy, being jealous of what others present that they have on Facebook, right? Social media. Strife, discord, causing divisions, 
fits of rage, anger, jealousy, the list could go on and on and on. These temptations, they come at us from every angle, sometimes so fast, we don't know what to do when we catch ourselves and we're in the midst and we're like, why did I do that? Why did I say that? Why did I think that? But we have the opportunities to respond by the fruits of the Spirit. We could be loving. We could say a kind word instead of a negative. We could be compassionate. We could be slow to anger. We could not gossip. We could do something kind for somebody who maybe we don't necessarily agree with or like. The list could go on and on. Honestly, I don't know how any one of us in this room or watching online thinks that we can stand a chance if we're not daily abiding in God's word. If we're not daily opening that word up, meditating, reading, studying, I don't know how we think we stand a chance. If the enemy is lurking to kill, kill, steal, and destroy our lives, Moment by moment, we need to abide so we can resist temptation by temptation. I want to linger here a little bit longer to illustrate the magnitude of everything we've studied thus far in this letter from the Apostle Paul to this Philippian church. Remember, let me go back to this real quick. He's writing to a church he loves. I love every one of you guys out here, everyone watching online. I, I love you guys and care about you guys. He, he, he's telling them what they need to hear, not what they want to hear. As we linger here and as we reflect on everything we've talked about so far and we think about our lives and the magnitude of, of imitation, check out this video. Listen closely to the words as well. The second glance that ties your hands as darkness pulls the strings. Be careful, little feet, where you go. For it's the little feet behind you that are sure to follow. It's a slow fade when you give yourself away. It's a slow fade. When black and white have turned to gray and thoughts invade, choices are made, a price will be paid when you give yourself away. 
As we move to examine the last set of verses, I hope and I pray that that little girl's words and the voice you heard, I pray that it sticks with you. Why, why should we follow the right people? The answer to these false teachers Paul teaches is the truth about heaven. He tells them that they must keep on striving on, keep on keeping on for more of Christ in light of the heavenly reality that awaits them. Are you living with the end in mind? The citizenship metaphor used would have had special meaning to Paul and to the Philippians. 
You see, Paul, he was a Roman citizen, probably a result of his family background and his upbringing in Tarsus. Roman citizenship, it gave him many advantages and rights, just as he now affirms that Christians have special benefits as citizens of heaven. As for Philippi, it had been made a Roman colony. It was considered a Roman city in another land. In the same way that Philippi was to be a model of Rome and Macedonia, the church, the church is to be a model of heaven in this world. There's a sense here of this dual citizenship in, her, in earth and in heaven. But the heaven has the priority demanding allegiance to a different set of laws and granting a greater set of privileges. Paul's aim is that they would be heavenly minded and, and earthly good. Paul is emphasizing their future expectation and hope that Jesus, their Savior and Lord, will rescue them from the coming wrath and will bring this evil world to its end. He's reminding them that they have been redeemed from the slavery of sin. They've been given over to God for an absolutely secure future. So Paul is reiterating to them, why would you throw all of this temporary pleasure away for unsatisfying things? Why would you throw all of this eternal away for temporary unsatisfying things? In verse 21, Paul writes that Jesus will subject all things to himself. This is the moment that Paul describes in Philippians 2.10 when he writes, Every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. In this moment, Paul also describes that Jesus will transform their lowly bodies to be like his glorious body. As a result of this transform transformation, he writes that they will bear the image of Christ in which there will be no more tears, mourning, crying, or pain, but only joy that never ends as they bask in the presence of the triune God. Think about that for a moment, what we just said there. For those who are believers in Christ, your end, your reward is basking in the presence of Jesus Christ in glory and worshiping in Him in a perfect body that has been transformed into his image. How Paul wraps up this portion of this letter is he demonstrates by following, or demonstrates following in action. Look at this in chapter 4, verse 1, as we conclude. He says, Paul cares deeply so much about these believers, and he wants them to know how much he cares that in 4.1, he sums up this passage by using what would be five affectionate terms of endearment phrases. First, he tells these believers, this little church in Philippi, he says, you're my brothers, you're my sisters. Think about the term of endearment there. Everything Paul says stems from the reality that they with him belong to the family of God. He loves them. He loves them deep, deeply. Next, he says, you whom I love. Paul is framing his thought here with a declaration that he loves them very deeply. Additionally, he adds, he says, you whom I long for. This shows the extent of Paul's desire to be physically present with them. I don't know if you're ever in a relationship where you were dating somebody and it was long distance. 
Remember, well, back in the day, if you'd write those letters and you wanted to be with them, that kind of feeling. Can you imagine Paul as he's writing his letters to these churches he loves dearly? His longing, his earnest desire, he wants to be with them. It was clear that he was lonely for these beloved friends. That is his earnest desire to fellowship together with them again. I want you guys to think about that. Through the pandemic, did you miss worshiping with your friends, your family, the family of God? Look around the room. I know some of us have immediate family here. Brothers and sisters and believers in Christ, we are family. We are the family of God that are going to worship together one day in heaven. Do we enjoy worshiping together as a family here on earth? Paul longed to fellowship together with them. He looked forward with joy to being present with them to worshiping together. You clearly can see a tie that bonded Paul with this young church in Philippi. You can see the unity that follows. Fourth, he calls them, he says, my joy. This is the main term that Paul used in a letter to express how he felt about them. One day they would have that eternal joy. And lastly, he says, my crown. This is referencing the victor's crown, the prize that they'll wear together after they win the race and receive their glorious bodies at the end of the present age. What greater joy than knowing that those whom you discipled are going to be with you in heaven. Is that a great joy? They will be the victor's crown as you stand together in heaven with our heavenly Father. In light of all of this, Paul calls on the believers. He says, stand firm in the Lord, and he's challenged them to remain steadfast in light of persecution stemming from adversaries outside the church and also from the enemies inside and within the church. In both cases, Paul's point was that they would remain grounded in Christ and entrenched in his gospel truth that they would continue striving for more of Christ and less of the world until the day of Christ. As I conclude with application, please note I'm speaking to myself as much as I'm speaking to you here. The Lord had to deal much with my heart as I was preparing this passage as well. Here's some simple observations that I wrote down that I thought and I reflected on as I studied this passage that the Lord laid on my heart. You can write these down if you like. You can ponder these and think about them if you like. The first is this, is, you know, making disciples, it never stops. Never stops. I don't care how old you are in this room, making disciples never stops. That is the command we were given to make disciples. It didn't say put on a bunch of events and programs. It said make disciples. Make disciples who make disciples who keep making disciples. That's how the word of Christ is continually passed on from one generation to the next. Second, who are you imitating? Now, honestly answer that. Who are you imitating? Would the people closest to you agree with your assessment? Third, someone is imitating you. Knowing that, are you comfortable with that? Remember, I'm speaking to myself as much as I'm, I'm sharing these with you. Fourth, we never arrive spiritually. We're always moving in a direction, whether towards Christ or whether away from Christ. But we're always moving. 
Remember that song? It's a what? Slow fade? The drift? We're always going in a direction, right? We're never staying the same. We're either moving towards him or away from him. Which direction are you moving? Fifth, is this church at Philippi the kind of church that we want to be known for at First Baptist Church of Shiloh in Brunswick County? You guys are what helps make that happen. If you answer yes to that question, then how is God speaking to you concerning what you need to do to help make that become a reality? Is he telling you anything that you need to stop doing? Anything you need to start doing? What next step is he telling you to take, and will you take that next step? Lastly, from the application side of things, is we must become aware. James 1, to 25, it says, A fool looks at himself in a mirror, walks away, immediately forgets what he sees. Kind of like a person who shows up to hear a preacher preach or to hear a message from Sunday school with no desire to do anything about it. Make sense? They call that a fool in the Bible. A wise person, it says, looks at himself intently according to God's word. Ponders, meditates, examines. Starts applying that to their life. As you're aware, what are you going to do with that awareness? Close your eyes for me, if you would, for a moment. I want you to create a picture in your mind. I want you to create the picture that it's the day you died and you're standing before the judge. You're standing before Jesus, the judgment seat. What's he going to see? What's going to be revealed before your eyes how you lived your life? Is that what you want him to see the day that you arrive to be with him? Is that one in which he's going to say, well done, my good and faithful servant? Look at that picture right now. What would that picture look like? I want you to become aware. If it's not the picture, what do you need to change? And I want you to think about this. What do you want to look like 20 years from now? What do you want to look like 10 years from today? What do you want to look like five years from today, one year from today, one month from today, one week from today? What do you want to look like tomorrow? What priorities, what goals do you need to establish with the end picture in mind so that you're becoming who Christ has called you to become? Keep that picture Keep that picture in your mind as I walk down and prepare for the invitation as we wrap up and close with this. Worship team, I don't know if you're coming for an invitation song or not. All right. As they make their way up, here's my prayer. Here's my heart for us as a church. Maybe you've never surrendered your life to Christ, genuinely surrendered your life to Christ. You see, Paul was once lost. He wasn't who he was in writing this letter a long time before that, until he had that experience with Christ on the road to Damascus, and God's changed his forever. Maybe you haven't been living who Christ has called you to live. 
you can change. You can become, by God's grace, who he's called you to be. If that moment, if God is speaking to you for that now, I pray that as you would come forward, stand, pray at your seat, whatever you need to do, I don't care what that looks like. I pray you would do that business with God. Maybe it's kneeling at the altar and praying and surrendering your life to Christ and making that decision official and permanent for the first time. Maybe it's you, you made that decision, but you've been afraid to admit you made that decision and you didn't want others to know and you need to follow through with believer's baptism. Maybe that decision, you want to make it known and you want to make it public. I have decided to follow Christ so others can walk alongside of you of accountability. If that's the decision you need to do, I pray you would take that step. We have baptisms coming up on August 1st at the ocean. The third thing is this, is maybe you're in this room and you've been a spiritual orphan. You know what I mean by spiritual orphan? You don't think you need a family to belong to. God has equipped every single believer in Christ with a spiritual gift to be used in service in a spiritual family. Maybe you've been wondering in life and your Christian walk has been all about you. I don't need other people. I just need me and Jesus. You know what? You need family. Christ created us to need relationships. Maybe he's calling you to join a church. I don't care if it's this church, what church, whatever church it is. Maybe he's speaking to you and you need to join a church, but maybe you've joined a church and maybe you've just kind of haven't been present in the church. Maybe God's speaking to you and you need to get involved in the church. I don't know, but I pray you would take the step to do whatever it is he's called you to do to become actively involved and imitate what it means to be a partner in the gospel in your church. Fourth, Maybe it's confessing sin and repenting. Maybe that drift has been so slow that you realize you're at a point in your life, you're so far away from Christ, you, you don't even see him anymore. And you cry out at night and you're wondering, how did I get here? All it takes is one step. Story of the prodigal son, isn't that incredible? He's eating out of a pig's trough. He had to humble himself and take what? One What'd the father do? Loving arms wrapped them all around him. Maybe that's you. Come forward and get right with Christ. Confess and repent and be welcome into the loving arms of your Savior. Maybe you need to pray for somebody in your life you know who needs that. Would you respond as the Lord has laid on your heart? I hadn't seen many people physically come to respond, and I'm not asking you to come physically respond unless you feel led by the Lord to do it. But I do believe this, that we can keep walking out here and letting things be the same as they are and keep struggling in life and stumbling because we don't obey. Whatever Christ is calling you to do, I pray you do it. As I pray, come, and then I'll close this in prayer after. Father God, I just pray right now, wherever each person is at, I don't know what step they need to take in their life. I don't know what their journey looks like, but I pray they would just come and do whatever you've called them to do. As the worship team would play, Father God, I pray, people, I pray that people would respond. Whatever that looks like and whatever you're speaking to them to do, I pray they would do it. It's in Jesus' name I pray, amen. I'm up here to pray with anybody if you need prayer. If you want to kneel at the altar, whatever you need to do, do that. And then I'll close this in prayer.
Jesus, Jesus. 